Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, RenewalChicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. We've been in a series and called the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has been preaching uh, this sermon, and I've been walking through it verse by verse, and our theme for this series has been Christian living in an everyday world. Have y'all enjoyed this series? Amen, amen. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. If you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me there. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And once you've got it, I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet if you're able as we read the Word of God together. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. If you got it, go ahead and say, got it. it. The text reads, starting in verse 7, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it with, will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. It's the very word of God. Amen. Amen. Today I want to preach on this topic. To judge or not to judge. Can you say that with me? To judge or not to judge. That is the question. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. You're an awesome God. We don't deserve your loving kindness, God, but you still choose to give it to us despite us. So God, I pray right now as I speak, as I preach this morning, that you would decrease me so that you may increase in this place. Father, let your word go forth and let people hear a word from you and not from me. You're an awesome God. We give you all the glory. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together. Amen, amen. You can be seated. Well, friends, this might be one of the most misinterpreted passages in the Bible. I mean, we all heard all the different sayings. Don't judge me. Only God can judge me. Why do you think you can judge me? Who do you think you are? You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. We've heard all of these sayings. We've heard all of them. And see, the problem with it is that when we hear these sayings, the notions that they give off to us is that we shouldn't judge or think about what other people are doing, but we need to just go ahead and live our own lives. You do you, and I'll do me, right? Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever thought, I have two eyes in my head, I have a brain, I got a heart, I see and I feel everything happening around me. How in the world am I not supposed to judge? You ever thought that before? I mean, not judging 
is hard. Let's be honest. It's tough. But this leads to this passage because the question we have to answer is what is Jesus actually saying here? To judge or not to judge? That's the question. In the text today, Jesus moves from personal temptations to interpersonal temptations as he preaches through the Sermon on the Mount. This means that he's moving from talking about our own spiritual walks and how we should do this personally or individually, and now how does the Christian walk in community with other people? What does that look like? We're going to see this in the next 12 verses all through chapter, tw- chapter 7. Now today in our passage, he begins with, judge not, that you be not judged. You see that? Now, this is where I think it becomes problematic, because right there, we stop. And now hear me again, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again to you. It's important, it's very important to read the preceding verses and the verses that come after the verse that you're looking at in order to read the verse in its context so you get the real meaning of what Jesus is actually trying to get at. Because if you read this, that first part, and you stop there, it's pretty easy to say, well, Jesus says, don't judge, right? You agree? But family, the truth is, that's not at all what Jesus is trying to get at in this text. See, what Jesus is saying is, do not judge or you will be judged. And then he breaks that down and says, by whatever judgment you give out, it's going to come back to you. In essence, he's saying, you better beware. Be careful how you judge other people because they're going to judge you that same way. Y'all missed that. He's saying, watch how you judge other people because the judgment's going to come back to you, whether it's from myself or God or somebody else. You're going to be judged the same way. And there lies the problem because we're so quick to judge. But on the other hand, we don't like when people say stuff about us. We don't like when people judge us, do we? I mean, you ever, you ever have somebody, maybe this is you, where they're quick to throw out jabs, they're quick to, to joan, they're quick to joke about you, say something crazy about you, but then when it's turned around on them, they get mad. Why are you talking about me? You better check, check your own self. And, and, and they started it, just sensitive. I, I tell my kids this all the time, I'm like, you better watch how you throw out heat to your sisters. You better stop teasing them. Because if, if you can't handle the heat when it comes back to you, 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 you better think about it before you do it. The first, and, 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 and you know, it happens like that all the time. My kids, my, kids, my girls, they'll, they'll be teasing one. The oldest teasing the youngest one. And then the youngest one catches on after a while. And she starts teasing, oh, Maya, you this and this, you that. And Maya gets so mad. And I'm like, I just told y'all, if you can't handle the heat when you give it out, if you can't handle when it comes back to you, don't give it out. You got to think about that. And that's what Jesus is actually talking about in this text. He's saying, look, beware with your judgment because it will come back to you one way or another. But the truth of the matter is, we all do this. We all judge, right? We all judge. Don't act like you ain't never judged before, we all do it. Some of us walked up in the church this morning like, I can't believe she wearing that, ugh. (laughs) That's judgment. Or, or it's better like this, man, I, man, they was out at the club last night. And now they're up in church, 9.30 service, early, dressed sharp, ready to go. 
And, and here's the thing. Before you even get the judgment, the only way you know they were out at the club last night is because you was up at the club too. But that's judgment. We're quick to judge. And side note, because someone needs to hear this, sometimes it's not others that we are quick to judge. We're quick to judge ourselves. We're hard on ourselves. We, we, we're hard on our bodies and how we look, our stage of life, our resources, and we get down on ourselves a lot. And this is a word for someone in here because it, it goes back to what I've been saying the last couple of weeks. You know how we get to this place where we're hard on ourselves? You know how we get to this place where we're, we're coming down on ourselves all the times because we're wrapped up in the cares of this world and what others think about us instead of placing our treasure and our belief in God and what he says about us, what he thinks about us, the fact that he loves us and he made us unique. He made each and every last one of us in his image. He spent time on us. He knows every little hair on your head. He cares about each and every last one of us. So, so hear me, stop being so hard on yourself and believe what God believes about you. Believe what he says about you. Family, my point in all of this is that we all judge. We all do it, and most of the time, we do it wrong. So Jesus begins the passage, and he's not saying don't judge, but instead he's saying that Christians should not be characterized by a judgmental attitude. But then the question becomes, well, Jesus, what do you mean by that? How do we judge and not be judgmental? So Jesus keeps going in the passage. Look at it with me. Verse 3, he keeps going. He further breaks it down. He says, because at this point, he knew that if he said that, he's grabbed people's attention because they're like, what in the world do you mean, Jesus? So he says... In verse 3, you notice the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye. Or you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when you have a log in your eye. Now, if we slow down and we pay attention to what Jesus said right here in the passage, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's pretty simple in what Jesus is saying. I mean, he's simply saying, check yourself first. Because again, most of the time, we're very quick to judge other people. We're very quick to notice everyone else's problems before we get to our own issues. We pay attention to everybody else's issues. And sadly, sometimes what happens in that is that we start to feel good about ourselves. Because we look at everybody else's problems, we start saying things, well, at least I ain't as bad as him. I ain't messed up like her. You ever been there before? We'll be honest. No, y'all not going to be honest on that one, right? <laughs> and, and, and see, the question becomes, why? Why do we get to this point where we're so quick to judge other people instead of looking at our own mess? The answer is simply because sin is innate in us. It's in our being. It's natural. It's, it's what we do. We can't help but to sin. We naturally turn away from the things of God and we run to the things that we want, the things that drive our affections outside of God. We run to those things. And don't miss this because it's how we get to judging others. Because every now and then, God will give you a glimpse of the ugliness of your heart. He'll let you see your mess. And in that moment, we have a choice to make. We can choose to repent from those things we've been running after 
We've been putting our own, uh, it's been driving our affections instead of God, those things, and we can turn the other way and we can run after God. We can run after the things he wants for our lives. Or on the other hand, we could choose not to see our mess. We could keep running after those things that, 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 that we love, the things that drive our affections. We could just try to cover up our own mess and look right over it. And while we're doing that, you know what's happening? Those things that are driving us, those things that, that we're longing after, you know what? They're not just driving us anymore. They start to define us. They start to define us, now leaving us in an identity crisis. And the only way to get validation, the only way to get approval, the only way to get what we think we're supposed to have or how we think we're supposed to look is we start measuring ourselves next to other people. Am I doing better than him? Am I doing better than her? Do I look better than him? Do I, I look better than her? See, because if we don't have a heart of repentance that sees our mess and runs away from our mess to God, then our hearts become more callous towards God and towards other people because we've become so self-absorbed trying to preserve our own image, trying to preserve our own treasures, trying to preserve our own wants, running after our own needs. And because we're so self-absorbed, y'all know what happens? I already said it. We're not getting the validation that we want. We're not getting the approval that we think we need. We begin to judge other people and validate ourselves. We begin to approve our own selves. I hope y'all with me with this. Y'all following me? You see, our sin is entrenched in us. It's a nasty, messy thing. It's not just in what we do, but it's in how we think. It's in our being. Sin runs deep, and y'all, we don't like to see our own mess. We don't like it. No, we, we, like, we like to keep moving. We're honest, we're really prideful. We don't like to see our mess, and when we see it, we're like, nope, I'm going to fix it, or I'm going to keep on moving, I'm going to cover it up, I'm not going to act like, I'm going to act like it doesn't exist, I'm going to keep going, because when we see our mess, it humbles us. We don't like feeling that, oh, I don't like that, I don't like that. And when we push past it, you know what happens? Our pride just keeps getting worse and worse. It keeps building up more and more. And the problem is, it's only when we're slapped in the face with our sin, with the reality of it, that we can judge the right way that Jesus is talking about in this text. And here's the thing, we're not unique to this pride problem. This didn't start with us. I mean, you look at King David in the Bible, any Bible thumpers in here, you, you read King David, he loved God with all his heart, he served him, but one day, you know, David, after writing all, he wrote like 73 of the Psalms that we know of, and maybe more than that. David, they, they say he's a, a man after God's own heart. But one day he become prideful in this place of king, sitting up in his, on, on the balcony when he's supposed to be out at war. He's looking over the balcony, he sees this woman, splish, splash, taking a bath, hence the name, hence the name Bathsheba, AKA Bathsheba, y'all, cause she was fine. <laughs> Not fine, she was fine. David said, look, he, he tells his servants, he's not, he's not even man enough to go get her. He's like, look, look, I'm the man. I'm prideful. I'm powerful. Look, my servants, go get that woman. He's not even trying to be, keep, keep it a secret. He's like, go get the woman. Bring her back here. He sleeps with her, lays with her, gets her pregnant. And then to cover up all his mess, he kills her husband. 
And then check this out. He keeps it moving like nothing ever happened. And then if it wasn't for little old Nathan, the second Samuel chapter 12 coming to him with a parable about a rich man who had many lambs, but instead of killing one of his lambs to feed a guest, he takes the one and only lamb of the poor man, kills it, and gives it to the guest. David's hearing the parable. He gets furious. He's like, I can't believe this. Tell me where the rich man is. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to take his lambs, and I'm going to give it to the poor man. I can just picture Nathan just like. And then he says, you are that man. That's you, David. You took Bathsheba. You see, friends, our sin is so entrenched in our lives that when, even when something is so blatantly wrong, I mean, we sometimes don't recognize it. Let me ask you, when's the last time you asked the Lord to reveal any unnoticed sins in your life? It's a tough question. When's the last time you dropped to your knees and said, God, show me myself? David, this man after God's own heart, knew what he was doing was wrong. He knew God. But he became consumed by the things in his life other than God, and he fell. And sometimes we can be just like David. We can look on right over our sin, and we can keep on moving with our lives and our busy lives again. And what happens, it, it leads us to become cynical and judgmental towards other people. But the truth is that if we took a recording of our life this week, you took a video recording of your life, all the details, everything that happened this week, you wouldn't want to show anybody. We wouldn't even want to see it ourselves. Because we don't want to relive our past. We don't want to relive our mess. We don't want to see it. If we're honest, we don't. And the point is that it's easy to look past our faults to someone else's, but Jesus says, get the log out of your own eye before you look at the speck in someone else's. He's saying, get close to your sin. Realize your mess. See your own mess. Deal with your own mess. Come to me about your own mess before you look at someone else's. That's why he says in the text, you hypocrite. Hypocrite. Now, remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about this word hypocrite, that it meant an actor who wore many masks. So basically, Jesus is saying, stop putting on masks and acting like you don't have any problems in your life and looking around judging other people. Hypocrite, he says. This is not some honky-dory, feel-good word. How many of y'all like being called a hypocrite? Nobody, right? If you like being called a hypocrite, something's wrong with you. And I don't want to hang out with you. He says hypocrite in this passage, and this is even deeper for the believer. Don't miss this part because he's saying, how are you being saved while in your sin? How are you going to judge someone else? Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this because what he's really saying is Jesus knew you in your mess. He saw you in your sin, but, in, but yet he didn't judge you where, where the wages of sin is death. But he died for you. He hung on a cross for your sins. Grace and mercy extended to you, believer. That, that, that's what he's saying. So you being a believer, it's hypocritical to be judging someone else without leading with patience 
and grace in your truth. He's not saying just let it go by. He's saying, how are you, how, how are you confronting them? Are you leading from grace? Are you leading with patience? Do you understand what, what, what happened in your life? Do you understand what Jesus did for you? Because if you do, then you will lead well. See, if we know our place as a sinner saved by grace, then we'll lead with grace. Andrew Murray, I love this book. You have heard me quote from it before, but if you don't have it, I'll, I'll get it for you. Just talk to me after service. It says this. That's how much I love it. He says this, these words, where sin abounded grace did more exceedingly. This reveals how the very essence of grace is to deal with and take away sin. Do not miss these words. And how it must ever be, the more abundant the experience of grace, the more intense the consciousness of being a sinner. It's not sin, but God's grace showing a man and ever reminding him what a sinner he was that will keep him truly humble. It's not sin, but it's grace that will make me indeed know myself a sinner and make the sinner's place of deepest self-abasement the place I never leave. See, it's not, oh man, I'm so messed up. Look at my sin, this and that. No, it's realizing that you're messed up, but how gracious God has been to you. That's what keeps us in this place of humility and walking through this life grateful that God saved us through the work of Jesus on the cross. Family, we can look over our sins, we can look over our mess, we can try to keep it moving, but if we don't, and we actually notice our mess, we actually sit in it a bit, it's in that place that we experience the love of God. It's in that place where we experience the acceptance of God, the grace of God despite our sin. And see, it's when we live from that place that we're able to love others right. It's where we're able to judge others right instead of being quick to judge them. But hear me, with all of that, I know there's someone saying in here, well, I'm still not following Jesus. Let me make it simple. He's not saying don't judge, but instead, only you'll only judge right when you see your own sin, which we don't like to do. That's why he says in verse 5, look at it, he says, when you take the log out of your own eye, that's when you'll be able to clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, once you've dealt with your own sins, it's now in that place that we're in a position to gently and lovingly confront to try to restore others who've erred. This means check yourselves before you start checking other people. Saying, God, show me myself. Is there anything in me that's wrong? There's, is there any wrongful motivation? Is there sin in me when I'm trying to confront this brother or sister and what they're going through? God, show me myself before I go to them. F family, we got to take a, a, a time to just sit down and say, God, what's going on with me? Where's my heart right now? Show me myself. That's tough, though. But it's only when we see our that we'll lead with patience, we'll lead with grace in the truth we share. Now, as we turn third and we head home in the text, now notice in the passage Jesus says, brother, three times. He says, brother, three times in verses three through five. Don't miss this. The reason being is that Jesus is saying that we, the believer, is not called to call out sin or issues in everybody's life. Or better yet, let me say it this way, when you do call out sin, it, it might not always go over the way you think it's supposed to. It might not always go well. Now, now hear me. 
Jesus is obviously not telling his followers to not to preach to certain people. It's not what he's saying. We got to spread the good news. But he does recognize that after, after sustained rejection, don't miss this, and reproach, it is appropriate to move on to others. Because sometimes, if not most of the time, especially in society like today, in our culture, being a Christian and you sharing the good news of Jesus, meaning sometimes it's going to be offensive to people, sometimes you will get attacked. Sometimes there will be some type of hostility. Jesus says, that's okay, keep praying, keep it moving. It just means when hostility comes, keep it moving. This is why he says in the text, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now follow me with this. And I, I'm not trying to come at anybody. I love dogs just like the last one, or the next one, okay? But in ancient world, Dogs were treated like humans. They didn't have coats. They didn't have shoes. They definitely didn't have strollers. I love dogs. I'm not coming at them, so don't, don't email me about that, okay? I'm just trying to make it plain to you. Dogs were dirty back then. They were grimy. They were scavenging animals that roamed around eating other things. People didn't care about dogs. Jews did not like dogs. In fact, they called anybody outside the covenant community a dog. That's what dogs were. That, that's what dogs were. Now, now, pigs, on the other hand, they were fully rejected by Jews, probably because they were too scavenging animals, eating trash, eating nasty things. They still do that, and they were considered unclean according to Old Testament law. So Jesus in the text is saying, "Don't give your pearls or something of great value like the message of heaven." The message of the kingdom of heaven to pigs and dogs. He's saying, don't give it away to them. In other words, stop giving the good news to those who are adamantly rejecting it. Stop doing that. Move on to others who need it, who want to hear it. Family, verse 6 right here, it's basically summing up the first five verses. First, believers are to be merciful forgiving and slow to judge with people. And then verse 6, it takes it to a whole nother level. And he says, even in that, be wise, be discerning of the character of people and not indefinitely just widely spreading the gospel, proclaiming truth to those who don't want it. Instead, keep it moving. In other words, the reason the Christian is to judge and proclaim truth is for the good and the growth of the kingdom of heaven. But if people don't want it, they don't want the good news, they don't want your help, keep moving. Okay, some of y'all are missing this. It's kind of like when you see your brother or your sister doing something they're not supposed to do. You see them messing up, you see them doing something, you're like, I got to talk to them. I got to tell them about it. And then you go approach them and they snap on you. Why don't you just mind your own business, leave me alone, this and that. And you're like, man, I was just trying to help you. You got a spot on your shirt. I mean, you, you're just trying to help them, but they snap on you. You ever been there before? You ever had that happen to you? You're just trying to help, and then somebody gets mad at you. They attack you. See, Jesus said, it's okay for the believer to call out someone's wrongdoing with the right heart, but, keep, but, but to keep going when they don't want it, when they don't want that help, is now giving what's valuable to the pigs or the dogs. 
And in the end, you know what happens? You know who's hurt? You. You get hurt. Now, this is key because some of us in here have what I like to call Jesus syndrome. We think we're called to save everybody. We, we, we have to share the good news at all costs. And I'm not telling you don't share the gospel with people. That's not what I'm saying. But we believe that we're supposed to save other people, even when they're not accepting it, when they're getting upset. You just, you're going to keep on hammering the gospel. You're going to keep hammering Jesus did for you, this, this for you. And you're not helping anyone. You're actually just pushing them farther away. You're pushing them farther away. And besides that, Jesus did not call any of us to save anybody. We don't have the power to save. We didn't save ourselves, so how are we going to save somebody else? God draws men to himself. God saves men and women. We're just called to be faithful witnesses. And the last time I checked, when I look at a witness, when I see them on the stand, they're not there to proclaim judgment. They're there to give the truth. That's it. None of us are called to be saviors. Jesus is the Savior. Scholar Frederick Bruner says it this way. Look at these words. He says, there is a form of evangelism that urges Christians to use every opportunity to share the gospel. Unfortunately, insensitive evangelism often proves harmful not only to the obdurate, which means stubborn, whose heart is hardened by the undifferentiating evangelist, but harmful also to the gospel that is force-fed. Now, let me break that down because you might have got lost in that. What, what, what he's saying is that when you're force-feeding the gospel, you're not only hurting the person that you're trying to give it to, pushing them away, but you're actually hurting the message itself. You're trying to be something he didn't call you to be. He keeps going. He says, aggressive evangelism gets converts and counts them, but we are never able to count those turned away from the gospel. For the numbers of the offended are never tallied. Wow. Now, I know this truth can make you feel a little indifferent or some of us even sad in here because we really want people to know Jesus. We want them to know the hope that we have. We want them to know the good. We want them to know the joy that's after this earth. We want all of that, and that is good. I do too. But it doesn't take us force-feeding people. It doesn't take giving away what is precious to people that don't want it. Jesus saves family. And sometimes, if not all the times, if not most of the time, it doesn't come because of the words that are in our mouth or our actions. Now, that can help. Your words can help. Your actions can help. Or they can hurt. But at the end of the day, salvation is not up to us. Some of y'all don't believe me, though, so let me end with this. Let me, let me show how this worked out in my life, okay? In college, I was on my way to pledge in a black fraternity. I'm not going to tell you which one. <laughs> one night, I was at a party with the Deltas and the neophytes. They were coming out. The new sorrows were coming out in front of everybody in the community, and we were tasked with locking arms, the men that were pledging with me that we were going to do this with other brothers in this fraternity. We got to lock arms and make sure nobody gets into the middle of the circle where they're coming out. 
So we're locked arms here, and y'all, if you don't know anything about when this happens, when, when, when people come out on campus it, it, and, and the new Soros or, or the brothers are introduced, it can get pretty rowdy because people are excited. They want to see who's been going through this process. We want to see what's happened. And so we're, we're locked arms, and there's this particular fraternity that didn't like the fact that we were circled up and nobody could get in the middle. I'm not going to tell you which one it is, but they wear blue. And, um, and, and, they, and, and they didn't like the fact that we were circled up. And so me and one other guy in that fraternity had some words. Um, he didn't like what I had to say to him, and I didn't like what he had to say to me, so we almost fought. Now look, y'all, I know I'm Pastor D sitting on this stage. And I was saved back then. I knew Jesus, and I know him today. But back then... Jesus hadn't changed all the words that came out of my mouth yet, okay? Some of y'all get that on your way home. I, I, was, I was saved. I wasn't super saved yet, you know? So we almost fought. God be the glory, we didn't fight. And the year went on, and I ended up not pledging and praying for all the fraternities and sororities any on, on the campus instead. They all started coming to the campus ministry that my wife and I, or girlfriend at the time, we were leading. And guess what? I would see this guy on campus all the time, the one that I almost fought. I could tell he didn't like me because he would glare at me all the time. Wouldn't talk to me, just keep on walking. We on the basketball court, he bumping at me just because he wanted to. He just didn't like me. So I just kept on praying. And then one day, there's two guys that were involved in our ministry on campus that I'm pouring into. They, they, they're online at the time. I knew something was weird because they were gone all the time. They couldn't tell me what was going on. But the story goes, they're online. And this guy in the same fraternity, they're online one night and they say, we got to go to Bible study tonight. And he's like, y'all ain't going to no Bible study. What? You want to go to Bible study? He didn't believe him. He said, no, we're going to Bible study. He said, well, if y'all going to Bible study, I'm going with you. I'm leading the Bible study. In walks the two guys I'm pouring into and the guy that almost fought me. The whole Bible study just shifts. And all eyes are on me and him because he's just asking all these questions. Shift the whole Bible study to answer his questions. And I try to answer them the best I can. The next day he says, can we meet in the lunchroom? I said, yeah, we can meet in the lunchroom. Now you gotta understand on IU's campus, the lunchroom is a very public place. So we walk in and everybody knows this guy. We sit at the table, just me and him sitting there. I got my Bible out, unashamed of the gospel. I'm telling him all these good truths. He's asking me questions. He's been going through a hard time in his life. And I said, God loves you. God loves you, he has a plan for your life. He sent Jesus down here who died the death that you deserved on a cross. Then he was buried, taking your sins to the grave. He rose three days later with power in his hands. And if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. This guy is sitting there weeping in front of everybody and confesses Jesus as Lord. Right there on the spot. Y'all could have clapped better than that. He's now a Christian artist with his own label, travels the whole nation sharing the gospel. Many artists underneath him, has a wife that loves him. I think he's got eight kids now. I mean, beautiful family. Y'all thought I had a lot. <laughs> now, friends, I, here's the point. I want y'all to follow this. If I would have just saw him and judged him illy, 
or just kept preaching the gospel message, throwing at him all the time, you know what would have happened? What do you think would have happened? We probably would have fought anyway. He wouldn't have received it. But yet, here it is, I just continued to walk faithfully with God, knowing this God didn't really care about me. And after two years of leading this ministry, he walks into the ministry and next day gives his life to the Lord. And I don't tell you to pat, tell you all this to pat myself on the back because obviously it didn't have nothing to do with me. But hear me, family, if you call yourself a believer, don't miss this, a believer in Jesus, you're called to him. You're called to Jesus, and he says to judge, but he says to do so in a way that you remember how you've been saved. You remember what he did in your life, and in that you will judge, and you will teach, and you will lead, and you will reach people with the grace of Jesus Christ, with the love of Jesus Christ, pointing them to him and not to you. And then he says, even in that, be discerning. Be careful, because everyone might not accept the truth that you bring, but just keep it moving. Keep praying. Keep being faithful, and watch God work. Don't miss this, because here's the truth. God still saves. God still saves. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. We thank you for just the word that may be even hard at times, God, to, about judging, about how we should walk and carry ourselves with other people. God, I pray that you would cover us and keep us in your hands. Lord, love on us as only a way you can, God, and teach us more about what it looks like to be called Christians. God, I pray if there's someone in here that is struggling with this truth, struggling with the love that you give, struggling with the fact that you gave it all on the cross. God, I pray that you'd work in their hearts right now. There's no judgment, but the fact that you just want us to come to you. And in that, God, you'll create and clean, clean heart in them, God, that you'll work in us, God. And, and for those that are still believers, that call themselves believers, Lord, we still get off track. We still struggle. We still mess up. God, let us never leave the place of being thankful for your grace. Being thankful for the mercy that's extended when we don't deserve it. God, I pray that you cover us this morning. And as we enter in communion, let us never forget what you did for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. Take care. God bless you. Uh-huh.